So we're talking about times of refreshing, and you know what? I was just reading this this in Acts about where Peter is preaching, and he talks about the times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. And it just made me think about how there are certain things in the kingdom of God that refresh us. Uh, one of those is is uh, you know is is being with God's people. That's it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable to be with God's people, generally speaking. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you caught that, Greg. Thank you. Uh, I've just personally, <clears throat> worship has always been really important to me. Uh, I feel like my my soul and my spirit are lifted by worship. It helps me to connect. I can think of when I have gone through difficult seasons in my life. Uh, it seems like there's been a song that's been tied to that. You know, that there's been, a, there's been something that the Lord would give me during that. It just would be like an anchor for me because it, was, it would be a song with the Word of God and it would point me towards God and His faithfulness. Uh, recently, one of the songs that re- I really enjoy is... Uh, uh, I really enjoy it. I think you would too if I could tell you the name of the song. It's it's Lauren Daigle, and it's I'd pretty like all this thing. You know, she's like uh, the Christian uh, Adele. She's the Christian Adele. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the song? Faithful. Faithful. That's not the title. But that's they say that a lot in the song. So I just made that the title. It's faithful. Okay. Anyway, it just was it just touched me powerfully. Powerful song. And uh, so today I want to talk about that. Two examples of how uh, we sing a song. We didn't sing it today. Uh, we sang a new song. I don't know if you've heard it. Shout to the Lord. This new song uh, that we did. Uh, it's so old, it's new. It's, it's actually a 20-year-old song. And, uh, and so we, uh, we're, we're doing some oldies but goodies. Uh, but... Uh, it's so powerful how worship can affect us and how it has affected us, what it can do in our life. And so I'm going to give you these two examples from the Old Testament, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, how we can actually fight and do battle with worship. That was the point I was making. We can do, we can do battle with worship. This is, you know, we sing a song, this is how I fight my battles. And you think, well, what is that talking about? Well, it's talking about how when we worship, which seems like it's not accomplishing anything, but just we're singing songs. But we're actually ambushing the enemy. God uses worship to confuse the enemy. Because you know what the enemy expects from us is complaints. But when we, get in, when we start praising and worshiping and thanking God, it actually puts the enemy in confusion. So we're going to talk about that. So Jehoshaphat was king of Judah. Uh, you know, after David, the kingdom of God began to come apart pretty rapidly and Pretty soon it was divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of Israel really, really went off the rails and uh, really didn't seek God hardly at all. But the kingdom of Judah continued. They had good kings, bad kings, and they would get on track, get off track, get on track, get off track. And uh, so Jehoshaphat is about the fourth king after the split of Israel and Judah. He's about 800 B.C. Uh, chronologically. The Bible says that, that Jehoshaphat was a good king, and they generally defined a good king as one who didn't worship idols. 
the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals. The Baals were the uh, regional gods of the Canaanites. They had different manifestations of the sea god and the, and the mountain god, different manifestations of the Baals. It's, you know, a lot of this actually ends up tying into Greek mythology and Roman mythology, the same, the same uh, gods, uh, which we understand from the New Testament, were, that it's actually demon-inspired worship. So they, they, they served the Baals. When, when, the, when the children of Israel defeated the people that were in the land of Canaan, they worshiped the Baals. And one of the problems that they had is that they tended to continue to worship the gods of the culture of the land. Even though they were victorious over the land and God told them to not worship the Baals, they tended to be, continued to be drawn to that. They were drawn to the culture. And we, we struggle with that too. There are idols in our culture that are so ingrained in our culture that you can't see them because they're part, they're part of, of the whole forming uh, a part of it is freedom. Freedom is a great thing. Freedom is great when it's married to responsibility. You know, but freedom just, freedom to be free doesn't work. So in America, we, you know, and then, you know, you have materialism. We certainly worship materialism. We're one of the wealthiest, we are the wealthiest nation in the world. And, uh, and you know what we all think? I don't know. You know what we all think? You know what you, how much you need? A little more, right? So, so we struggle with this. In other words, we, there's idols in our midst that we're battling, sexual idols, things that we struggle with in our culture. And they did. It was, it was ingrained in the culture, and they had trouble getting away from it. He did not consult the bells. In other words, he didn't go to Bell for help but sought the God of his father and followed his commandments rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. This is where they would go and do fertility rites, have sex to, in, as part of idol worship so that it, they would have better crops. So, so he took that down. 2 Chronicles 17.10. So because of that, the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands surrounding Judah so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. So God gave Jehoshaphat a season where there was no war, where he didn't have conflict. And, you know, this is a big deal. If you don't have to fight battles and spend the money on battles and all of the con just the stuff, because generally, life is full of conflict. I don't know if you've noticed that. So one of the things that God sometimes does in our life, sometimes God prevents danger from coming against us, and we have seasons of relative peace and comfort. We often don't recognize that until it's gone. And then we think, ooh, I wish I had that again. I wish I'd appreciated that more. You know, it was a lousy job, but it's better than no job. And they were giving me a paycheck every week. And wow, I hated that. But I wish I'd appreciated that more because it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Right? 
You ever had that? So sometimes God protects us from things. We don't have trouble. And it's often, it's often not a long season, but we have those seasons, and then, then often this happens. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. So they came to tell him, hey, there's an army coming against you, and by the way, they're already here. You don't have any time to get ready. They've already gathered in the valley against you. So at other times, God allows the enemy to attack and gives us the victory so that he gets the glory and we live on and serve him in gladness. And it becomes, a, it becomes for us a look what God did moment. You got any of those? You're going to get some more <laughs> until you're dead. So we learn, to, see, we learn to trust God in a different way in times of trouble than we trusted him in times of peace. We, we, learn, we learn to hang on better when we have difficult days, when the enemy's coming against us. We learn things that we don't learn in seasons of peace. But in the end, one enemy is never driven off, the enemy of death. I just brought you here to encourage you today, just let you know, if you haven't thought about it, if you haven't thought about it, you're going to die. Did you know that? Statistics are pretty overwhelming. Only one person that we know of has fully escaped death, that's Jesus Christ. Everybody else, we all die. But even in this, we're, we die in this life, but here too, God protects us from the sting of death and brings us to eternal life in Christ. Because Jesus said this, he said, if you believe in me, though, you're, though you die, you'll never die. Wait a minute, let's think about that again. Jesus said, if you believe in me, even though you'll die, you won't die. So what's he saying? Well, your physical body will die, but the moment of your death, you step into the presence of the Lord and you enter into your eternal life, which is never ending. And the life that you have, this life is just a vapor. It's just a smoke on the mirror. It's just grass in the field that withers when 103 degree heat hits it. That's life. We lose this short physical life. We lose this life, but we gain something greater. So we cannot lose. Right? So, but Jehoshaphat's in the middle of a battle, which a lot of times, and I've told you this before, and you got to get this, life is a series of problems and then you die. So life is a series of struggles. If you're not in a struggle, if you're in a season of peace right now, hang on, wait a week, wait 10 days, it's coming. Alternator's going out, air conditioner's going to break, you're going to have four flat tires, something. Your kids are going to call you and say, guess what? Uh, you know, <laughs> all, those, all those kinds of things. It's just life is trouble. So Joshua's in trouble. He doesn't know what to do. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. So he's going to ask the Lord, Lord, what should we do? And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek help. So the first thing that he says, he says, let's 
hey, everybody, let's fast and pray and ask God what to do. Which you have to just think about it this way. The world, when, the, when we talk about, I'll pray for you, most people think, huh, that's, that's a waste of time. I mean, prayer seems like weakness. Doesn't it? I mean, because when I pray, it's like I say, oh, God, I need help. It's not like, boom, help shows up. I, I mean, that's how I'm expecting. That's what I want to happen. But it does, when I pray, oh, God, do something, God doesn't do it right then. It's usually there's a time span that I don't like. God answers prayer, but he's never on my schedule. So they're fasting. You know, what's the purpose of fasting? Fasting and prayer, you do not twist God's arm by fasting and prayer. It's like, well, I'm going without food, so God owes me now. You know, if you want to see some of the best food you've ever seen in your life, fast. It'll all show up. They'll bring it into the office. Hey, we're going out to eat today. Steaks on me. Everybody, we're having steaks. You're like, what? I'll have to fast tomorrow. <laughs> and you're, you're, you've never gotten hungrier than when you're, on a, when you're fasting. You have to kind of break through that hunger. Just, you ever go on a diet and it's just like, even food you don't like, it's like, all, that's all it's just food commercials on television. It's like, I'm trying to not eat. You know, I'm, I can get a rice cake at 11 o'clock. And, uh, and nobody even likes rice cakes. It's like, they're horrible. It's like eating styrofoam. But, but you can have them on the diet. So you say, well, since I can have it, I'm going to eat one. Uh, you know, it's, but you just get hungry. You see, so fasting and praying doesn't twist God's arm. It prepares us. Think about this. This room is filled with radio signals right now. If you had a small radio, AM or FM, you could pick up all kinds of different signals. You could pick up signals from a, on the other side of the world if you had a shortwave radio. In other words, we, we are, our bodies are constantly bombarded by radio signals. But if you get a little transistor radio, you can tune in and you can just think right now you're being bombarded by rap music, rock music, country music, Spanish stations, Czechoslovakian speaking stations, all kind. It's, it's all here. You could hear all of it, but you have to tune into that station. Prayer and fasting tunes us to God's station. It doesn't, it's like, oh, well, God, I went without food. You owe me now. Because I prayed for this to happen, and I didn't have a Big Mac when I could have had a Big Mac. So you owe me big time, God. That's not the way it works. But it prepares us. But fasting and prayer is also weak in the flesh. When you, it's one of the weak things. You think God moves through weak things. You think how, you know, when, when there's a mass shooting or there's something happening, it angers people when you talk about you're in our prayers. You know, you're, we're, we're praying for you. So now, you know, now when there's a crisis, they, now they don't say, you know, well, we're praying for the families. Some will. They have the courage to still say that. But like I said, they're in our thoughts. I don't, know, I don't know if you know this, but that doesn't help anybody. But statistics, we know factually. They've done blind studies, and they have found that people in hospitals that were prayed for they didn't know they were being prayed for. 
but they were being prayed for. And people who weren't being prayed for, the people who were being prayed for got well quicker. That prayer works. So, so then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations, power and matter in your hand, and, you, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us like now, whether the sort of judgment or plague, 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 plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. I love this right here. We, do know, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good prayer right there, folks. We don't know what to do. We don't know what the answer is. We don't know how to get out of this mess that we're in. But Lord, we're looking to you for the answer because you're our hope and you're our answer. So Jehoshaphat, in his prayer, he remembered first the power of God. He's praying about that God's sovereign over all the nations. God's bigger than all these nations. He knows that. He's declaring that. Sometimes we're praying it to ourselves, right? We're saying, God, I know you're great. You're majestic. You're powerful. You're mighty. God knows that. We're praying it for us. They were praying about the past faithfulness of God. He was saying, God, you delivered us. You brought us to this land. You gave this land to your friend Abraham. You gave us this land, and you said it was our land, and they're trying to take it away from us. God, you've been faithful before. That's right. I'll get away. Sorry. Sorry for the distraction. Uh, and then they were praying the promises of God. That's good praying, by the way, to pray, to talk about who God is to talk about his faithfulness in your life, and to praise promises. We don't know what to do, but our eyes on you. He just threw himself in dependence upon God. That's what we have to do. We throw ourselves in dependence on God. When we have a problem, and it's bigger than us, which is virtually every problem we have, we throw ourselves on God and say, God, we don't know what to do. Our hope is in you. We're looking to you for the answer. So all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Ananiah, the son of Jeliel, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph. And as he stood in the assembly and he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, to all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now that's even, I like that. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I like that, but I like this even better, right? You don't have to fight this battle because the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeriel, and you'll, have, you'll not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. You'll not have to fight. Now, notice this. He says, you'll not have to fight 
go out and face them tomorrow. He says, the battle is the Lord's. You'll not have to fight. You still got to show up. Can't stay in bed. Say, well, God's got this. They still had to show up. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship. That's just in reverence. They're just saying, oh, God, you're awesome. Thank you for answering our prayer. We think you're awesome, God. They're worshiping before the Lord. They're falling before the Lord in great respect and reverence before God. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up. These are the men who had been appointed in the temple. This is the choir. This is the the organized singers. While everybody else is prostrate before the Lord, they stand up and they begin to sing. They stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So God said, I got this. And the people said, all right. And they fell down. And then the worship team stood up. They started singing. They started singing loud. Somebody walked to the back and said, hey, hey, could you get them to turn that down? (laughs) It's a little loud. Making my hearing ring a little bit. And I just say that to say this. Here's what you got to know. If you walk back and talk to Chris about the volume of the sound, he will, he'll smile at you. He may even move knobs around. He's not going to do a thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the way it works. If Landon tells him or if I tell him, everybody else is just going to smile. There's two things that you can't put up to the opinion of everybody in the room. The thermostat and the volume. Because we're, we're, we all have, you know, we all have different tastes. So since we all have different tastes, I'm right. <laughs> fair? Is that fair? Is that fair? Okay. So it was loud. And I think sometimes, you know, I, I think that's just the way we're wired. There's something about volume that helps us communicate Desperation. We get loud. We get loud when we get excited. You have, I mean, you ever go to a football game? You ever go to a college football game? You ever go to a peewee football game? You would, you would think there was a million dollars on the line. We're, I mean, the parents are screaming. They're, you know, they're ready to fight each other, you know, and it's, and it's, it, it, it means nothing in the scheme of things. It means nothing. But we're kind of wired that way, that, that we, we, when we're excited, we shout. And I think, you know, we sang the song, Shout to the Lord. I think there are times when we shout our worship, we shout our praise, we shout the promises of God to the Lord. We shout them when we're driving in our car to ourselves. We do it in church. We do it because we're, we're declaring. It's, it's the way we wired. When we are excited, when something's valuable to us, I mean, just think, if I just said, I'm just going to walk out here, you know, hey, Rodney, here's a million dollars. I'm not actually going to do that, Rodney. I just want to, but Rodney, who is kind of low key, we might actually see him dance in church. Yeah. 
I mean, it could happen. And that's the way we all are. There are, there are certain things that we would get really excited about. So, you know, so they got excited. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. I've always loved this about this story that they put their money where their mouth was. They said, we don't believe God's going to make us fight. They put the worship team out front. They put the worship team out in front of the warriors. Because they believe that God's going to fight for them. They believe that God's going to do what he said. So this was an act of faith. We trust God. God's going to do this. So we're going to worship like it's already happened. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you just worship like it's already happened. That the promises that God's given you, you believe are true. And you're worshiping like it's already happened. No, we sing about going to heaven because it's like it's already happened. We're already saved. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Mount and Moab and Mount Seir who were invaded Judah and they were defeated. So as they began to sing, as they began to sing, the Lord set ambushes. And I, I want you to see, this is one of the ways that God works. God could do it without them singing. Does God need them to sing? No. But you'll find all through Scripture... God wants us to act in faith upon his promise. So he, he gives us a promise, and then he wants us to act in faith upon it. He, you know, he says to Abraham, hey, go to the land that I'll show you. And Abraham doesn't say, where is it? He said, I'll show you. You'll know when you get there. So he packs up and leaves. He says to him later, hey, Take your son, your only son, take him up on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. And he goes, okay. Because we know that he believed that if he had to sacrifice him, God was going to raise him from the dead. He believed God would raise him from the dead. You know, when David faced Goliath, there were two whole armies facing each other, you know, just staring each other down every day. And Goliath would come out and, and, they're, and they're like, well, somebody needs to fight him. And they're all kind of looking at Saul because he's the king and he's taller than everybody else. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. And they're thinking, well, you know, Goliath's tall, but Saul's the next tallest one. I pick him. And he's the king. I think he should go. But he didn't go because he didn't have faith. The little scrawny kid shows up. And he hears, he hears Goliath taunting the enemies of, of the Lord. He says, hey, I'll, I'll fight him. And they're like, oh, you can. His brothers especially say, you, you can't do this. He says, yeah, I can do this with, with the Lord's help. And he, get, he does. And that's the way the Lord works. It was, he had to be available. He had to show up. You got to show up. Moses had to, had to walk into the Red Sea. I mean, the, the waters didn't split until they stepped in to the water and then the water split. He's like, I'm just like, split and I'll step in. Right? Show me what you're going to do, God, and then I'll put my faith in you. And God says, no, you put your faith in me and you'll see what I'm going to do. 
That's hard. Paul had to go and preach the gospel. God called him. He said, this is what you're going to do. But Paul had to show up. He had to go and preach the gospel in a lot of difficult places, how God works. That's how God works in your life. You often have to step out in faith. Giving, I don't know if you know this, but giving is an exercise of faith. I don't know about you, but I can never afford to give. I can use 100% of my money plus. You, how about you? So when I give, give, what I'm saying is, I'm declaring that I believe that God is my source. I'm declaring that I have put my trust in God, that he has provided for me in the past, he will provide for me in the future, he is my source, and I trust him. And so I believe, I believe this is the, the way the kingdom works. And so you have to step out in faith. They stepped out in faith and they saw the tremendous miracle of God so much so that there was, there, there was, it took them four days to pick up all the stuff that was on the ground that was left behind. No, now I don't have much time, so I'm going to move ahead. So Paul and Silas, New Testament, Paul and Silas are in prison. Uh, once they were going to the place of prayer, they were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. So she's actually saying the truth, right? But she's annoying them. She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. Okay, When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. This is painful. So they stripped their clothes off and they beat them after they'd been severely flogged they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Then he, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So they stripped them. They beat them with rods. They, they, they probably have open wounds, right? Pro- possibly some broken ribs, because somebody probably really enjoyed what they were doing. And so they put them in prison. You don't think about our prisons. Prisons are horrible. You don't want to go to prison, but these prisons were worse because they were, first of all, this is, they didn't have sewer, but they had people in them. Think about that. They don't have sewer, but they got people in them. So it's, it's, it's full of stuff. It stinks. It's filthy. And so here they are, they've been beaten, they're in pain, they're hurting, and they, they lock their feet in, to make them even more uncomfortable. They put their feet in stocks so that they can't move and adjust. They're, they've been beaten. They're in pain. They're bleeding. They're sore. So the Bible says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, it's not unusual to pray. I think we'd all be praying, oh, God, get me out of here. God, get me out of here. Second verse, oh, God, get me out of here, and I'll increase my giving. 
oh God, get me out of here and I'll volunteer in the two-year-old classroom. You know. In other words, you know, we would all be praying, but something this is unusual because they're in pain and they're not complaining. They're singing. They're singing praises to God. So they, here they are, midnight, in pain, and they, they've got, I guess they're thinking, hey, we've got a captive audience here. Literally. And so they just begin to sing praises to God. And as they began to sing praises to God and the other prisoners listened, suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoner just had escaped. Because if prisoners escaped, they considered that he probably got a bribe or got paid off, so he'd done some crime. So they were held accountable for prisoners that got away. So he would have had, he would have been probably put in his own prison. He was thinking, I'm not doing that. And so he was going to kill himself or he would have been killed. And, that, and Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole, house, he and his whole household. Now here's what we don't get sometimes. So when Paul and Silas were singing, they were doing spiritual warfare. They their singing caused then the jailer to be saved. They caused people to be set free. We don't realize the power of worship. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Now, he's talking about when we come together, when we come together, there's something that's happening. We're singing to God, and we're singing to each other. Because we're, we're, God uses His Word as we sing to minister to each other, and so to help fight each other's battles. You know, you think, well, I just thought we were here singing. No, we're fighting. We're doing spiritual warfare on behalf of the people around us because you really have no idea what the person sitting around you is going through. Think about that. You have no idea the, the degree of battle and struggle, what they went through this week, the, the problems, the difficulties. The, you, you know, because what do we... We don't burden each other with that most of the time. We walk in and somebody says, how are you doing? And what do you say? You say, fine, because you don't have enough time to tell them what happened. And they'd fall asleep. They're like, eh, I didn't really want to know all this. You know, I was just being nice. Because, but we're, we all have stuff. And what we don't realize, there's power when we come together to worship that we begin to sing psalms. You know what a psalm is? A psalm is a song with instrumental accompaniment. The psalms were all written to be played with an instrument. So when we come together and these guys get on these instruments and do them really well, 
the, we, we are so blessed because we have, and I think what we offer to the Lord, we want to offer with excellence. We want to do the very best we can. But you know what? If you can't carry a tune in a bucket, God doesn't care. Because what he's looking at is your heart. You can have a lousy voice and a great heart. You can have a great voice and a lousy heart. But when we come together, we need to recognize, what we, when we come together and worship together, we are actually doing spiritual warfare. We're, we're actually helping to fight the battles for one another. And we're fighting the battles that we're facing. And if it's not the battle that you're facing today, it's the battle that's coming on Tuesday that you didn't know about. But we, we do spiritual warfare when we praise, and it refreshes us. You know, it just gets me in touch with God. I can just be, just feel like I'm so separated from His presence, and I can just begin to sing, begin to worship, and it's just like you, you just move into the refreshing of the presence of God. You don't have to go anywhere. You, don't, you can just say, Lord, here I am. Here am I. So let's fight our battles with worship. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.